This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, casual ableism, depictions of imprisonment, including outbursts of violence and emotional breakdown, symbolic depictions of emotional and psychological trauma, and descriptions of mind control, sexual slavery, graphic violence, and homicide. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 298. Hey there, folks. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 39 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Sasha and Rebecca took Daniel back to the Spells for You magic shop to get help from the wizard Artax. The old man performed some more tests on Daniel, but he informed them that he doesn't have a cure yet for the conditioning that Jared unconsciously imposed on Danny. In order to figure out the next steps, they need to see what Danny's behavior is like when she's separated from Jared. That means Danny and Daniel are going to have to disappear. Artax took them through a secret passage, into a specially warded and lead-lined facility. Three locked but comfortable-looking cells, furnished like hotel suites, and a control room, where Artax can monitor the people in the cells. This is the Sanctuary, a place designed to rehabilitate practitioners of mind control and their victims. Artax will keep Danny and Daniel here full-time for at least the next few days, until they can be sure whether Danny is responding to treatment. Daniel was leery about the cost of this service. Everyone knows that Artax doesn't run a charity, and magic rehab can't be cheap. But Artax offered to take an alternate form of payment, a geish, or magically enforced promise, imposed on Daniel, Sasha, and Rebecca. At some time in the future, the wizard can call on them for three favors, which they and their family must fulfill as expediently as possible. The three sighs agreed to this bargain, and Daniel felt the geish settle over him. Then it was time for him to go inside. He was already over the recommended twelve-hour limit for being in male form, and any further delay would just make it harder for him to take control back from Danny later. He and Rebecca shared a tearful goodbye, and then the door swung shut, cutting off the telepathic link between them.
Making the Cut, a novel of Metamore City, written and read by Chris Lester. Chapter 39 Get me out of here! Danny pounded on the heavy steel door, seething with rage. It didn't even budge against the long bolts that held it in place. The door must have been insulated, too. The quiet thump of her hands against the metal would never be heard in Artax's warehouse, much less in the shop outside. She was completely at his mercy. Cut off from help. Cut off from hope. Cut off from Jared. Artax! Open this door, you fucking bastard! Let me out! I'm not crazy! You hear me? I'm not crazy! She wheeled around, scanning the room wildly for something to break down the door. She grabbed the wooden chair that sat in front of the desk and dragged it over, then picked it up by the seat back and swung it against the door. It made a satisfying thunk as it hit, but the door still didn't budge. The tiny part of her mind that was still holding on to rational thought said that it wouldn't do any good, that the door was far too strong to break down. Danny ignored it. She was past rationality. She wanted to hit something. She swung the chair again and again, putting all of her considerable strength behind the blows. Let. Me. Out! She shouted, striking the door with each word. Let. Me. Out! The chair cracked and split, and finally shattered, the legs flying off across the room as the seat cushion fell at her feet. She threw the now useless seat back across the room, knocking the phone off the nightstand table. Grabbing one of the chair legs, she swung it like a club, smashing one of the bedside lamps. How do you like that, asshole? She snarled, looking up at one of the closed-circuit cameras. You ready to open that door yet? She stalked over to the other side of the bed and smashed the lamp on that side. How about now? She went to the television and smashed in the screen. How about now? She grabbed pictures off the walls and threw them across the room, but the glass was actually transparent plastic, and they did not shatter as she had hoped. She turned over the desk, tore the hangers off of the coat rack in the closet, pulled out the dresser drawers and swung them at the door until they fell to pieces. She went to the bathroom and pulled the ceramic lid off the toilet tank. She smashed the shower head, then turned and shattered the bathroom mirror. The lid broke in half as it hit the concrete wall behind the mirror, and she threw the remaining half into the shower stall. Through it all, she screamed, calling down curses on Artax, Sasha, and everyone else who had taken part in this fucking conspiracy to separate her from Jared. Jared, oh gods, I've lost him. I've lost him. She staggered back into the bedroom and collapsed, rage giving way to grief. They'd locked her away where Jared would never find her. They'd taken her from the only person who loved her, the only person who gave a damn what happened to her. She could grab one of those shards of mirror and slit her wrists, and the only reason they'd care is because Daniel would die with her. Daniel, you stupid fuck! You've ruined everything! I was gonna be happy! 
Why couldn't you just go away? She looked down at her hands. She'd had a ring, the ring Catherine had left for her. But now it was gone. That traitor Daniel had taken everything and left her alone. Alone again. Jared! She sobbed, pounding on the floor with her fist. She put all of her feeble telepathic power behind her words, straining to reach the man she loved more than life itself. Save me, Jared, please! Oh, God, save me! But Jared would not hear her. She was alone, hidden from spells and sigh alike, trapped in a prison she would never escape. A prison she was sure she would die in. Alone again. Forever. Sasha turned away from the monitors and closed her eyes, unable to watch any more. She felt like she was going to be sick. Artax stood beside her, still watching the screens with a furrowed brow and sharp analytical eyes. Rebecca huddled in the corner of the room with her eyes fixed on the nearest monitor, unable to come close and unable to look away. Her golden tan face had turned almost as pale as Sasha's. I guess this means that it's permanent, huh? Sasha said, her voice coming out flat and lifeless. The wizard stroked his beard thoughtfully. Not necessarily. Obviously, the conditioning is persistent, since she didn't return to normal after being shot inside, but it may still fade with continued isolation. We'll need to give her a few days at least, before we can judge whether it's permanent. He looked over at her and quirked an eyebrow. Believe it or not, this is good news. If the conditioning required a constant connection to Jared, that would mean he has enough range to maintain his influence across half the city. No, at this point I'm inclined to believe his talent is strictly limited to influencing those in close personal proximity to himself. The more time a person spends in his company, the more that influence is reinforced. A chill ran down Sasha's spine. Do you think he could use his power through a mind link? Artax cocked his head. It's possible, but Jared is a very weak telepath. He needs physical contact to open a mind link. At that range, the question becomes academic. Sasha nodded, feeling immensely grateful that Jared was one of the telepathic have-nots. She shuddered to imagine what he could do if he'd been a level nine like herself. She glanced back at the monitor. Danny was still there on the floor, weeping. It was so eerie to know that she was just three doors away, and yet be completely unable to sense her. She felt disconnected, like she was watching a computer simulation of a woman crying, instead of seeing a real person in pain. Normally, the sight of a person suffering moved her to action, made her want to do something to help them. Here, she just wanted to turn it off, to make the strange not-person on the screen stop sobbing and wailing for her lover to come save her. It all looked real and sounded real, but it didn't feel real. It felt like a very disturbing game that someone had taken way too far, and she wanted it to go away. But she knew that Danny was real, and that made her feel guilty. 
Dear Eli, how do the Mundys do it? How can they be capable of compassion and empathy when they can't even feel the suffering of the people around them? She had a new appreciation for her own power, and a new sense of pity for the poor souls who struggled through their whole lives with their minds and hearts blinded to the thoughts and emotions of their neighbors. The fact that any of them managed to become good, kind, and caring people, in spite of their handicap, was a miracle of the highest order. Artax put a gentle hand on her shoulder. Danny needs time to calm down before we'll be able to do anything productive with her. Why don't you two take a break and come back after dinner? Sasha managed a feeble smile. That sounds like a really good idea. She reached out and took Rebecca's hand. Come on, Becca, let's go. Rebecca pulled her hand away. No, I'm not leaving. Bex, Daniel's not coming out for another twelve hours. You can't do anything for him. Rebecca glared up at her. The expression was shocking on her gentle face. Danny needs to know that I care about her, too. She's going to want to talk to me sooner or later, even if it's just to yell at me. I'm not going to leave her here alone. Sasha looked into her eyes a moment longer, then nodded. All right, I'll bring you some dinner when I come back. Bring some for Danny, too, Rebecca reminded her. Sasha blushed. Of course. She looked over at Artax, but he waved a hand dismissively. Bah, don't worry about me. I'll just go up to me kitchen and whip something up. It may surprise you, but alchemy and cooking really have a great deal in common. Sasha smirked. I guess they would. She glanced at the monitor and winced. Sorry that she's made such a mess in there. Artax chuckled, though the mirth didn't reach his eyes. <laughs> she wasn't the first. Don't worry. Everything in the room is covered by a persistence enchantment. In a few hours, it will all put itself back together again. Sasha whistled. Remind me to get that enchantment from you once we have a toddler in the house. She reached down and kissed Rebecca's cheek. I'll be back soon, love. Rebecca hardly seemed to notice. She was still watching the screen. Sasha entered the apartment, dropped her purse on the counter, and flopped down onto the couch, sighing. She closed her eyes and tried to banish the image of Danny sobbing on the floor of her cell. Fiona didn't make a sound as she approached, but Sasha felt the cool, steady current of her thoughts brushing against her mind. I take it that Danny's prognosis is less than optimistic. Sasha looked up as her lover perched on the armrest next to her head. I don't know what to do, Fee. The despair she had been warring with during the drive home was evident in her voice. She sent Fiona the memory of Danny's breakdown and the subsequent conversation with Artax. I was trained to pry into people's minds, to find the things they didn't want us to know. It's been a year since I went civvy, and sometimes I still feel like all I know how to do is interrogation and psychic safe-cracking. I'm not even sure where to start with something like this. Fiona ran her fingers through Sasha's short blonde hair. Perhaps you should begin by confronting her with the things that she does not want herself to know, she suggested. 
Sasha sat up and stared at her. Fiona shrugged, unruffled. Danny has been operating on the false assumption that Daniel was her old identity, rather than an alternate aspect of her present identity. She has been denying a part of herself, and defining her current identity entirely in terms of one narrow aspect of her life, her relationship with Jared Tamlin. If you can make her aware of the barrenness of her current emotional state, it may help her realize the need to change. It took Sasha a few seconds to find her voice. Yeah, no, I saw what you were getting at, and it makes perfect sense. I'm just trying to figure out where you came up with it. She smiled wryly. No offense, love, but emotional analysis? Not usually your strong suit. Fiona looked away, the muscles around her eyes tightening slightly. I know. In this case, I must admit that I was drawing on recent personal experience. Sasha winced. Damn it. Nice going, Sash. So distracted by Danny's problem that you completely forgot about fees. She sat up on the couch and made a spot for Fiona. Sorry. I've got some time to start working with you if you're ready. Fiona slid gracefully down to the seat and took Sasha's hand. The corner of her lip turned up in a rueful expression. I may never be ready, she admitted, but problems rarely resolve themselves if we ignore them. She looked down at their joined hands, then back up at Sasha. When she spoke again, her voice had softened. What do you need me to do? In answer, Sasha opened up the link between them. Just lie back, relax, and open up as much as you can. I'm going to have a look around in your subconscious. Let's see if we can figure out what's behind those walls. Fiona nodded and lay back, closing her eyes. Focusing all her attention on her power, Sasha dove down into Fiona's mind, beneath the calm, steady surface thoughts and into the currents beneath. Sasha knew Fiona better than anyone, so she wasn't surprised by the intensity of the emotions that swirled under her calm exterior. She saw Fiona's concern for the safety and stability of their family, the struggle between her loyalty to the Hive and her anger at its recent decisions, her fierce love for the unborn child growing inside Rebecca, the jealousy she fought to control as she saw how much of Rebecca's heart still belonged to Daniel, an outsider, and the guilt she felt for labeling Daniel an outsider when he had once been a central part of their circle of friends. These and a hundred other emotions roiled and stirred inside Fiona, kept safely below the surface by cold logic and Fiona's iron self-discipline. These were all feelings that she had acknowledged within herself and relegated to their proper places. She did not hesitate to share them with Sasha and the others when they entered Gestalt. Because she understood them, they did not control her. The true source of Fiona's inner conflict, her fear of being powerless, that was something that lay deeper. She didn't understand it, and she had only recently even been able to acknowledge it. That was what Sasha needed to help her uncover. Sasha dove deeper, past the swirling currents of emotion, and into the lightless depths of Fiona's subconscious. Memories floated past her like glowing jellyfish. Some of them solitary and disconnected, 
others moving in schools that were driven along by specific currents of thought. Sasha studied them as they went by, seeing images of Fiona's life that danced inside their gelatinous forms. It was the solitary memories that interested Sasha the most. On the whole, Fiona's mind was an orderly place. She knew why she did what she did, and she had good reasons for doing it. One of the things that made her so extraordinary within the Psy Collective was her ability to look at situations objectively, and then act on a logical basis. Even when her emotions were informing her decision, she considered their input as only one piece of the larger puzzle. For these memories to be disconnected from any of the obvious currents, they had to be driven by something more subtle, something deeper. Sasha reached out to some of these disconnected memories, examining them in more detail. A familiar-looking wizard handed Fiona an exquisitely carved amulet. This is our premium model, Artax said, the pride evident in his voice. Guaranteed 100% effective in all circumstances, even against incubi and fertility portions. Under more mundane circumstances, it's rated for a minimum of ten years. Fiona and Brian conferred in secret in a storage room at their old MID base. Are you sure? Brian asked. You have seniority, you know. Technically, you should be the one to have the first child. Fiona crossed her arms. I am familiar with the custom, but Rebecca has wanted a child for years. It would help her to integrate into the family if she were the first to conceive. She did not tell Brian the real reason for deferring to Rebecca. Above all else, she knew that she must not become helpless. Fiona gazed in silent horror at the scene in front of her. This wasn't just the drug lord's headquarters. It was a harem. Two dozen women from all over the world stood watching her, glassy-eyed and barefoot, enchanted mind-control collars latched firmly around their necks. She spun on her heel and walked back to the office, where she had left the drug lord handcuffed and tied to his own chair. She raised her gun and fired, striking him in the groin. He shrieked and screamed, wailing like the pig he was. She shifted to a different vantage point and shot him again, this time in the throat. The bullet destroyed his larynx while leaving his spinal cord untouched. He hissed and sputtered and gurgled as he died. After he stopped moving, she untied him. She took a gun off the body of a guard and pressed it into his hand. Putting his finger on the trigger, she squeezed off three rounds into the bookcases at the far end of the room. She would tell the others that he died resisting capture. Sasha forced back her own nausea and tried to look for the overall pattern. All of these events had been driven by the same motive, a motive so deep that Fiona could not explain them even to herself. In her mind's eye, Sasha perceived it as a deep ocean current, an upwelling from the abyss of Fiona's subconscious mind. It was slow, cold, and inexorable. Though almost unnoticeable by itself, it shaped all of the faster currents above it. These memories, though, were driven by it alone. Sasha went deeper. The water here was freezing, the pressure almost unbearable. 
this part of Fiona's mind did not give up its secrets easily. She came to the lip of a vast chasm, a jagged tear in Fiona's psyche that she had submerged under countless layers of conscious and subconscious thought. The upwelling rose out of that chasm, driving before it the small, glowing lights of those scattered memories. Sasha looked over the edge and saw the faint glow of a light far below her. That's the source, she thought. A voice boomed through the water, assaulting her ears. No, you cannot go down there. Sasha looked around in alarm. She was far below the level of Fiona's conscious thoughts. If Fiona were trying to speak to her, the voice would be more distant. This seemed to come from the chasm itself. I need to go down there, Sasha said. That's where the answers are, Fee. Look at the size of this chasm. This sort of pain doesn't happen without a reason. You must not go down there, the voice said again. I will not allow it. Sasha smiled apologetically. I'm sorry, Fee, but you asked me to do this. I love you too much to let you back out now. You'll thank me when this is over, I promise. She moved past the ledge and dove into the darkness. Something was waiting for her. A tentacle snaked out from below and wrapped itself around her throat. Suddenly the imagery of the ocean was more than a metaphor. Sasha felt the creature's grip around her neck, and she found herself unable to breathe. A massive form rose out of the abyss, its body pale and ghostly against the dark water around it. An eye the size of a dinner plate regarded her with cold, alien hostility, while its arms drew her closer to its snapping maw. Panicking, Sasha struck out with a mind blast, but the creature was deeper than conscious thought, as deep and old as instinct, and her telepathic attacks did little damage to something so primal. She reached out and sent a beam of thought up toward Fiona's conscious mind, imagining it as a grappling line fired from a spear gun. A single thought propelled it to the surface. Help me! For a long, terrifying moment, Sasha hung there in the darkness, gasping for air that she couldn't see, while the creature relentlessly tightened its hold. Sasha's vision began to go dark, but just then, something grabbed the lifeline and pulled her upwards. Abruptly, Sasha found herself back in her own body. She was lying on her back on the couch, Fiona on top of her. Fiona's hand was around her throat, looser now, but still pinning her down. Fee? Sasha gasped. Fiona sat back on her heels, her face as white as a sheet. She looked down at her hand in astonishment, as if it belonged to someone else. She looked back up, her jaw slack. Her brow broke out in a cold sweat. Sasha? she whispered. Her voice sounded very small. What? What just happened? Sasha tried to speak, coughed, then sat up before trying again. I think that it's going to take a while to get through those defenses of yours. And that's the end of chapter 39. Come back next week 
when Miriam hunts for a missing agent, and Sasha tries to get through to Danny. Chloe Thurlow said, Between the lines of every book, the writer reveals their own secrets. So come take a peek behind the curtain with me. It's time for the Weekly Writing Report. This update covers the week of August 14th through August 20th. I wrote 3,307 words this week, over the course of 4.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 778 words per hour. As of Friday night, I have gone 64 days without breaking my chain. This week, Mel and I were on vacation in Michigan until Thursday, visiting with family and a few close friends. I continued the audio production that I've been working on for the last two weeks, finishing up podcast episodes for now through the end of September. I also completed the chapter edit for the first week in October, but I didn't record the intro and outro until Thursday night after I got back from Michigan, so finishing that podcast will have to wait until this weekend. I also recorded another full episode on Thursday night, which I will also edit this weekend. When I'd finished all the audio production I had available during the trip, I spent the rest of the week working on scripts for the podcast. This will save time when I get back home and can start recording again. Right now, I have complete scripts written for the first three weeks in October. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, the fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.